0: This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most
1: powerful women. We've got to find a way to incentivize cognizance of what's going on
0: and who's buying what you're creating. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. A new report finds that bankruptcy proceedings may give U.S. adversaries access to technology with national security implications. The report outlines actions needed to close the gap and the challenges associated with doing so. It also calls for specific training for bankruptcy judges and court officials to raise awareness of the problem. Camille Stewart is an attorney working at the intersection of technology, law, and society. She is a program manager at the Transformative Cyber Innovation Lab at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and also the author of the report. She's also a New America Cyber Policy Fellow and a Senior Global Policy Advisor at Google. I spoke with her about the kinds of sensitive information often found in bankruptcy filings and why the issue has received little attention until now. Camille Stewart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Beverly. So glad you're here. This is a really incredible area of research that you're working on. How are countries exploiting the US legal system, the bankruptcy courts to gain access to national security related technology?
1: Yeah, so it's an area that is lesser known, right? So DIUX has identified this as a problem and a few places have kind of identified it as a problem and put it on a shelf. But what's happening is uh, And quickly
0: a- DIUX for those who might not be familiar with the government Act, Is the Defense's Innovation
1: Institute that they have in Silicon Valley, where they get really creative and get to kind of play around with cool technology that's out in Silicon Valley. It's part of
0: the Pentagon. It's a DOD uh, effort, but it's based in Silicon
1: Valley. Yes, exactly. And uh, actually, Silicon Valley is a great way to kind of illustrate the problem. So an innovator creates a chip or some piece of technology and puts all their money into it. That technology at conception is going into a cell phone or something innocuous, but has the capability to be in a tank or in a machine gun or in something like that. They run out of money because funding a new project and getting a new technology off the ground is really expensive, and they go bankrupt. So they go to the bankruptcy courts for their opportunity to to recoup on their investment. While in the bankruptcy court, They're not paying attention to who's making a purchase, what portion of the company that is making the purchase is from where. And that provides a really big opportunity for nation states, for adversaries to physically observe court proceedings that talk through and show intellectual property and the technology that these companies have. Or they can create very creative agreements to be part of the purchase
0: and get access to the intellectual property. So which countries are doing this? Is it only the U.S.'s adversaries who know about this? I'm almost hesitant to call it a loophole, but it seems like a loophole that's big enough you could drive a tank through. I don't know if it's big enough to drive a tank through, but
1: it's pretty like it's right in front of our faces right i mean china is probably the biggest perpetrator of this but it's really an opportunity for a number of different countries to do this and as they get more sophisticated in cyber gaining access to our intellectual property is a great tool to perpetuate an attack so the opportunity is open for anyone who shows up in a courtroom, for anyone who can um, get some small percentage of a company or create another creative agreement that says, I don't need a share of the company, but just give me access to the intellectual property. And these countries, these foreign owned companies are very creative and they know our foreign investment regulations better than most of us do. And so they know exactly how to position themselves so that they can gain access and
0: not have to go through some of the
1: regulatory who and hurdles that we've put in place.
0: I was going to ask about CFIUS later, but since you talked about the regulations regarding foreign investment in U.S. companies, talk about CFIUS, which I should explain that acronym. It's the Government's Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Yes. So
1: the U.S. government has a whole foreign investment regime
0: that prevents
1: or curtails investment in the US economy. So CFIUS covers like dual use technology, which are things kind of like the my illustration earlier that both can be used in the private sector for things that are fairly Innocuous cell phones, etc. We can also be used in military equipment. Mm-hmm. There are export control regimes that control how military capabilities and things that are on a specific export control list can go out. And then there are anti-assignment clauses that prevent companies that have contracts with the federal government from, you know, reassigning those contracts without approval and kind of looking through what would be designated to the other company.
0: And the idea is to protect intellectual property that might have a dual use, as you as you explained,
1: or things that are flat out for military purpose. It's to make sure that the federal government understands what you're selling. So that stops both a contracting company that like could sell guns and it could stop this chip manufacturer that we were using at the beginning of the, the conversation. And so CFIUS has actually identified this as a problem space as well in the NDA that passed the National Defense Authorization Act. NDAA. And yep, NDAA that redid CFIUS a little bit. Right. So it, it's called FIRMA, Foreign
0: Investment. Risk Review Modernization Act of 2018. Thank you. Look You're at welcome. that.
1: Uh, <laughs> so FIRMA updated CFIUS and put a bunch of things on the table for review. They identified that these sensitive technologies were leaking out through a variety of different methods or weren't in scope for CFIUS, which was problematic. And so one of the things called out in the NDAA is debt and bankruptcy court proceedings. But the pilot regulations that came thereafter from the committee do not expand on that. So we've actually been talking to the Treasury Department and leaders there trying to get them to update those regulations or in the final version, call out how we can empower judges to leverage the, the debt and bankruptcy court proceeding call out to identify this phenomenon when it's happening in real time.
0: So let's talk about some examples of cases to give people a really detailed picture of exactly what other countries may have gotten access through bankruptcy courts? Because your your report that you're writing about this, it goes into some detail about who who has actually gotten access uh, to some things maybe that they should not have gotten access to.
1: Yeah. So a really good example is Molly Corp which is a mining company that started to go bankrupt, got some help from the government, and they Mine for rare earth minerals mm-hmm.
0: and rare earth minerals are used in defense military products and
1: critical technologies and all kinds of things. That Your cell like, phone won't work without exactly, them. Exactly. Sewn into the defense industrial base and sewn into the technology you use every day. And so they started to go bankrupt. The government helped them. And then. They went bankrupt again. And this time the government didn't bail them out. They weren't able to provide assistance. And a Chinese company bought this rare earth mining uh, company, or at least the rights to mine. And it is the only one in the United States, which means we have to go to other countries to get this rare earth
0: mineral. Which is mined in the United States. Yes
1: if they're even using that mine, right? So China mines quite a bit of this, and we'd have to go to China and ask them for some. They also own our mine. So no matter where it's coming from, it's coming from China. And to have them control our pipeline, our supply chain like that is wholly problematic.
0: So a lot of countries may see this as an easier way of getting access than actually going through the process to buy a tech company and own it. Is there any effort to to curtail this behavior. To curtail this kind of behavior. Yeah,
1: so the CFIUS process has, like I said, it's expanded to include more sensitive technology. So they're trying to identify these things up front. The problem is, is that to identify this while it's still happening in the courts and not just roll back a deal after it's already happened, you have to have the judiciary as part of the solution. They need to understand the national security threat. They need to understand what kinds of technologies they should be on the lookout for. And they need to be able to flag these things for CFIUS or request proof of a CFIUS review or something like that. So that's what we're pushing for. We're pushing for training so that these judges will be able to understand the threat and be a little bit more proactive. One of the nice things in the pilot regulations that came out as a result of FIRMA is that um, they call out these NAICS codes that align to different um, technologies. And they flagged some that are
0: critical. NAICS codes meaning. That's another acronym. I'm not sure what it stands for, but it's like it's a set of numbers. um, That align to
1: critical technologies. Right. And so those things often appear on bankruptcy court filings. So what we'd like to do is make those a little bit more uniform and then judges can say, oh, this one both appears on the bankruptcy filing and also appears um, in the list of potentially problematic codes Let me ask if they've had a Cepheus review. Let me, you know, talk to DOD or the Treasury and see if they need to look into this a little bit further. Because the problem with waiting to unwind a deal, similar to what actually just happened with Grindr, um, is that they've already got access to everything they need to get access to. So unwinding it stops, you know, innovation within that company or continuing to build off the intellectual property Leveraging those people, but once you've gotten access to the intellectual property, there's a lot you can do there um, or to the sensitive data because that was the
0: case in Grindr. They were really I was worried just going to say talk data. about the Grindr case uh, for people who may not be familiar with it. So the Grindr case is Grindr a dating app um, and Something you never thought you'd hear on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. We're talking about a dating a app. A dating app.
1: <laughs> so actually, it's, it's very interesting. People are starting to call it like love intelligence. Understanding what your preferences are, who you like, the things that are interesting to you, because you can put a lot of data in your dating profile. Um, and so that was bought by a Chinese company. Cifius. in the wake of all of these changes, was like, this is problematic. This is a lot of data being shipped out to a Chinese company that potentially has ties to the government. So they are unwinding that deal now so that more folks who signed up for Grider are getting their information sent. But I mean, the information that was already in there is already gone, right? They've already gotten access to that. If you were part of OPM, if you were part of any of these other things, those things are woven together and your profile is even that much more
0: intricate. So information that an adversary could potentially pull all of the strings and tie together. And let's say you are a person who works for the U.S. government in intelligence.
1: It doesn't even have to be somebody that closely tied to, you know, Um, the critical system or to the intelligence apparatus. You could be the admin. You could be anyone who's got access to systems. That's all they need. So they might not be as well trained. They might not think that somebody would have used this random fact from their dating profile to then send them an email and then they've gotten access to the systems and they can navigate from there to get to the critical systems that they're actually looking for. So like everybody could be a potential target. We've seen that even through contractors. So so a contracting company was hacked by a Chinese hacker, and they gained access to the intellectual property. They used that to get into the Pentagon systems. They used that to get into Lockheed Martin systems, and we know Lockheed Martin is a huge government contractor. And then they've got access to a lot of things. In that case, they weren't able to – they say that nothing was sensitive was accessed, but that demonstrates the level of capability there that you can get into the federal systems, that you can get into Lockheed Martin, which has – you know troves of uh, sensitive information, national security-related information, potentially. Um, So the problem is there.
0: Even though all of the examples you've mentioned here have been Chinese companies,
1: we we do it, know this is happening by other cap- uh, other, other countries.
0: countries are doing this. They're just We're the not-
1: most. They they just have a lot of fun with it, <laughs> and we can see that uh, quite a bit more. But Iran and other countries are definitely stepping up their capabilities and have the opportunity, means, et
0: cetera, to do the same thing. So, what's been the reaction of the bankruptcy courts and the judges? How have they responded to uh, what you're trying to do? So, they've actually
1: been very responsive. They're very interested in understanding more, particularly judges who feel like they might get these technologies before them on their docket. Um, But broadly speaking, we are actually planning um, to pilot the training that is proposed as a solution within the paper. We're partnering with George Mason University's um, NSI National Security Institute and their judiciary branch to. to pilot the training and work through how we can deliver something that's meaningful, gets them educated on the issues, helps them understand what tools they already have in their toolkit, because that's where the gap is. Although Cifius, even prior to this update, left room for judges to be able to ask for a CFIUS review or proof of a CFIUS review. That lack of understanding and lack of feeling empowered by the legislation has created a delta between what they technically are able to do and what they feel empowered to do. So we are trying to bridge that gap by providing the information so they understand the threat and can feel confident when they call something out or when they ask questions, providing them with those questions so they can ask things about the capability to get them to a place where they can make that. That, you know, that determination about whether or not they should be requesting a CFIUS review. And then we are um, providing them with points of contact for their counterparts. How do you get in touch with Treasury? How do you get in touch with CFIUS if you need to ask questions about what's going on?
0: And let me ask about the reaction in terms of the innovation community and the, the business sector. If someone's going into bankruptcy, their investors just want their money back. Right, right. And. I imagine that they are not all that concerned with who the buyer is.
1: And that's a lot of due diligence for the person going through bankruptcy to do, right? Because on its face, you might say, Ooh, a 100% Chinese company, even a 50% Chinese company that comes to me and says, I want to buy this capability, you might for the good of the country, say, no, thank you. Let me see if I can get another buyer. But are you going to look to see if somebody owns 1%, owns some creative, you know, bargaining agreement that says that like I get access to your intellectual property, but I don't actually have to be a part of the company's ownership and operation. I just invest a little bit. There's so many creative ways for them to be a part of that buying structure that it would be a lot on that community. So yes, it would be great for people to be more vigilant about who's on the other end of the purchase. um, But between the hardship and the due diligence it
0: would take to really understand the company structure, that's not realistic. Because every example you've given here, someone with nefarious aims wouldn't have to buy much. They wouldn't. They
1: wouldn't. They wouldn't. They might not have to buy anything on its face, right? Like, they might not even own part of the company. They just invested a little money, a little seed funding to the company that is buying it and says, just share in your intellectual property with me. And that, those are the hard ones, right? If you own 1%, if you own 10%, there used to be a percentage threshold in CFIUS traditional but now with the new regulation they they've done away with that by and large but it's the ones where you don't see them on the ownership paperwork that makes it really really difficult
0: and for the innovation community because starting up a company with a great idea and then seeing it go bust that's just the cost of doing business in it is. silicon valley it is do you think that having this conversation with innovators you know how do you get them to be thinking about this and invested in making sure their creative product doesn't end up where they might not want it to end up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a longstanding problem that goes even beyond this bankruptcy court issue, right? Right getting innovators and entrepreneurs invested in understanding the national security implications of the things that they're creating. I think there is a high level, like once they understand, they will be more sensitive to it and more attuned to it. But the pressures of losing all your money, the pressure of the investment that you made and trying to recoup on that in some way is a really heavy burden and a really heavy pressure. So we've got to find a way to incentivize that kind of cognizance of what's going on and who's buying what you're purchasing so part of the the call for training will be not only on judges but on attorneys as well so they understand and they can advise their clients on their options and opportunities and then it might even take some government action to incentivize not Funneling your money, not um, agreeing to such a bankruptcy court or a bankruptcy deal, um, but hopefully, if the judges are on board, that deal's not going through anyway. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but you'll have to find another
0: buyer. Since the Pentagon has been pushing for new and innovative ideas, DIUX is in Silicon Valley. It is not here inside the Beltway. Yes. Um, how does this kind of thinking impact? what DOD is trying to do in stepping up, having innovative works advance the opportunities and tools that the warfighter can use?
1: Yeah. So DIUX is actually well positioned to leverage the anti-assignment clauses that I mentioned before. If they put those in more of their agreements with these small companies that are innovating around things that they may use and they may not use, things that might have... um, You know, public use, but also maybe down the line might have military use. They can control how they contract with other companies, how they sell their contracts, how they sell the capabilities, how they all of those things. So they can actually penetrate the ecosystem in a different way than just the CIFIUS piece. DIUX is aware of this problem, particularly the bankruptcy court issue. I I don't know exactly what efforts they're making to mitigate that beyond encouraging CIFIUS to be a more active participant in identifying these violations of the requirements because it is a voluntary submission, which makes it even more difficult. So they're pushing there, but they have other creative means that they could use to to kind of tamp down on this behavior. As we wrap
0: up here, what's next?
1: So as I mentioned, we are piloting this training, which is very exciting so we are right now submitting for funding and trying to build a curriculum and building towards getting that out there Um, so really actually putting action behind the identification of a problem and the proposal of a solution as well as um, one of the things mentioned was that a database that kind of does some of this matching of the NAICS codes and other things um, other factors that could help judges identify these technologies more readily um, is something that we're exploring so we'll see exactly how both of those things manifest themselves. But right now, those are the paths that are going down to help mitigate this problem.
0: Fascinating subject. Camille Stewart, thank you so much. Thank you. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmartWomen and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.